Hey everyone, I am excited to announce that Esther, Something Hidden, Something Revealed, is now available on Amazon as a side study, Volume H, in the Gospel Feast series. The book of Esther is a mysterious one. As written, it is a book with many contradictions. The name Esther means something hidden. It does contain several historical conundrums and a handful of mysteries. It is the only book in the Bible that never mentions God at all. Why? Many Jews today say that it is just fiction, because they can't find any of the characters mentioned within, historically. And yet, they celebrate the book with a major festival, annually. It is also one of the books that is required reading in the weeks before Passover, every year. Not by God, but by Esther herself. Why do this if you insist the book is just fiction? It is one of the only books that Joseph Smith made no corrections to, although he considered it to be historical. How is any of this possible? Esther reads as an eyewitness account, but then struggles with the simple, logical issues and frequently contradicts itself in some very strange ways. How come? Considering that Esther became the most powerful queen of the world's largest empire, none of this makes any sense. Or does it? Despite the wonderful story, we are left with the puzzling questions. Who was King Ahasuerus? Who was Mordecai? Who was Haman? And actually, who was Esther? The answers may just surprise you. The book is not fiction. And in fact, all of the puzzling contradictions were put in place for a very devious reason, and not by Esther. Join us on this astounding historical reconstruction and be amazed at what Esther really tried to do, and how, had she been able to accomplish what she had tried, your life would be very different right now. You think you know the book of Esther? Are you sure? Let's feast on the Word of God together and see what a woman of God can do when she really puts her mind to it. It also might make an incredible Mother's Day gift for the ladies in your life. Happy Mother's Day. This is the Gospel Feast Podcast for those that need a little meat after the milk. It's time to feast on the Word. This is a much-anticipated episode in the Gospel Feast podcast. We are finally going to understand more about the gifts of the Spirit, as well as how to use them in our lives, so let's get started. It is important to start out any discussion on the gifts of the Spirit with a short explanation of the difference between the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit. These two are so often confused that their separation is crucial to understanding our topic at hand. The Holy Ghost is a living individual who, together with God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, make up the first presidency of the Father's kingdom. He uses the term Godhead. Just as we are organized on earth with a prophet, a theological father, and his two counselors who stand as supporters and witnesses, so is the organization of heaven. God the Father is the King of the universe. He is supported and witnessed in His rule by our Lord and Savior, our brother, and the Father's birthright heir, Jesus Christ. Our third brother, who is still a spirit, sustains them by standing as a second witness. 
Being a spirit, he has the ability to enter inside our bodies where he can sanctify or burn out sin, comfort us from within, remind us of things we know and believe by having direct contact with our minds and hearts, and certifying that what he finds there is both true on earth for us and in heaven for God. Being one in purpose with the Father and the Son, he becomes our intimate connection to them directly. The Holy Spirit is not a person. But as Joseph Smith explained, it is the will of the Lord that holds all things together. It is truth, but it is also law. The Lord explained it to Father Abraham when he taught him about the creation of the universe. Abraham 4.1 And then the Lord said, Let us go down. And they went down at the beginning. And they, that is, the gods, organized and formed the heavens and the earth. And the gods watched those things which they had ordered until they obeyed. The gifts of the Spirit are numerous and include every good and useful talent which benefits the children of men. More specifically, the Lord has enumerated a list of spiritual gifts which He delights to see used within the body of His Church to bless the lives of all members. Let's examine these in detail. The Scriptures clearly state that all the children of God have at least one spiritual gift. Most have more than one. Very often, spiritual gifts given are mentioned directly or indirectly in one's patriarchal blessing, but don't have to be. One of the many reasons for getting a patriarchal blessing is to learn of these gifts as a starting point to using them. It is important to remember that the Lord is willing to give any gift to anyone if they are willing to petition Him for it, and then allow Him to teach them how to use it for the blessing of others. These gifts are to be used within the church, in connection to one's stewardship and callings, in the home, or on assignment from higher church leaders. Church members in the past have fallen for Satan's trick of convincing them that their gifts are to be used to instruct or censor those outside their stewardship or those above them in church authority. It was just this tragedy that lost us Oliver Cowdery in the days of Joseph Smith's administration. Satan will use our strengths against us if we are not carefully on guard. Since the sisters of the church have been richly endowed with the gifts of the Spirit, and few of the saints really understand them, it will be useful to explore them in detail. Tell us more. The last few chapters of the Book of Mormon are fascinating to me. One gets a real sense of the horrible life General Mormon and his son Moroni lived as they witnessed the complete destruction of their culture. As well written as the Book of Mormon begins, it ends in an abruptness that is fitting with reality. As a professional writer and author, I can promise you that no one would write such an ending. Joseph Smith is reported to have told his family that Moroni was captured after he successfully hid the plates and that he refused to deny the Christ nor disclose the location of the plates and sacred Nephite relics. And so, his enemies slit his throat. He, like Brother Joseph, sealed the witness of that book with his blood as a testimony to you that it's important. The book's solemn sadness, coupled with Moroni's last few desperate pleas as he was running out of space and hiding for his life, speaks volumes to me. Moroni, in his isolation and wanderings, took his only comfort in the visions the Lord showed him of our day. Ponder on the setting here. Moroni is writing. He is a vagabond, an outcast in society. 
hiding in the woods by day and traveling the roads by night. His enemies are after him, all the while he is trying to complete the sacred record of his dead people. He has one page left and no way to get any more. What is he to write? What would you write? These last words are precious and pertinent. Make them count. This is what he chose. Moroni 10.8 I exhort you, my brethren, that ye deny not the gifts of God, for they are many, and they come from the same God. And there are different ways that these gifts are administered. But it is the same God who worketh all in all. And they are given by the manifestations of the Spirit of God unto men, to profit them. Is Moroni saying that the gifts of the Spirit might have saved his people if they had used them? Is he saying these gifts would save us if we used them? Do men and women today deny the gifts of the Spirit? More importantly, do you deny them? He will next list some of them, and we will study them together shortly. But note this first, that every good thing comes from Jesus Christ. Moroni 10.18 And I would exhort you, that you remember that every good gift cometh of Christ. And then this pearl of great value. Wherefore, there must be faith. And if there must be faith, there must also be hope. And if there must be hope, there must also be charity. And except ye have charity, ye can in no wise be saved in the kingdom of God. Moroni's last words were to lay out the pattern of salvation. The pattern is really quite simple. God gives his gifts to mankind so that there might be faith. When one is filled with faith, he is filled with hope. This hope fills an individual with joy, a pure Christ-like love that desires to reach out to others. This is charity. Moroni is clear about this. Moroni 7.46 Wherefore, my beloved brethren, if you have not charity, ye are nothing, for charity never faileth. Therefore, cleave unto charity, which is the greatest of all, for all things must fail. If it is not possible to be exalted without charity, and charity is not possible without hope, and hope is impossible without faith, how does one get faith? One major way to receive and grow one's faith is by participating in the gifts of the Spirit. That is what Moroni is saying to us. Emphasizing the blessings these gifts can be in our lives, President George Q. Cannon has said, how many of you are seeking for these gifts that God has promised to bestow? How many of you, when you bow before your Heavenly Father in your family circle or in your secret places, contend for these gifts to be bestowed upon you? How many of you ask the Father, in the name of Jesus, to manifest Himself to you through these powers and these gifts? If any of us are imperfect, it is our duty to pray for the gift that will make us perfect. That is the design of God concerning His Church. He wants His saints to be perfected in the truth. For this purpose, He gives these gifts and bestows them upon those who seek after them, in order that they may be a perfect people upon the face of the earth, notwithstanding their many weaknesses, because God has promised to give the gifts that are necessary for their perfection. With such great advice as this from Nephi and Mormon prophets, let's review the gifts of the Spirit together, with a particular emphasis on the ones God gave to you. Here's a list from the Lord of some of the better-known ones. 
Doctrine and Covenants 46.13 To some it is given by the Holy Ghost to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that he was crucified for the sins of the world. To others it is given to believe on their words, that they also might have eternal life if they continue faithful. To some it is given by the Holy Ghost to know the differences of administration according to the conditions of the children of men. And again, it is given by the Holy Ghost to some to know the diversities of operations, whether they be of God. And again, verily I say unto you, to some is given, by the Spirit of God, the word of wisdom. To another is given the word of knowledge, that all might be taught to be wise and to have knowledge. To some it is given to have faith to be healed, and to others it is given to have faith to heal. To some is given the working of miracles, and to others it is given to prophesy, and to others the discerning of spirits. It is given to some to speak with tongues, and to another is given the interpretation of tongues. And all these gifts come from God, for the benefit of the children of God. The Lord promises that every child of God has at least one gift, a point that we sometimes forget. Some have more than one, many have several, very few have them all. Often your gifts are spelled out for you in your patriarchal blessing, sometimes directly, such as, you have the gift of wisdom, and sometimes indirectly, such as, your testimony and faith in God will cause others to gain strength from your service. If your gifts are not mentioned in a way that you can understand, it is your right to ask a patriarch, or the Lord, humbly please, to clarify your gifts. If you still need assistance, you can ask your bishop, who stands as a judge in Israel. God has said, Doctrine and Covenants 46.27 And unto the bishop of the church, and unto such as God shall appoint and ordain to watch over the church, and to be elders unto the church, are to have it given unto them to discern all those gifts, lest there shall be any among you professing and yet be not of God. Let us discuss some of these gifts in greater detail. The gift of knowledge is a beautiful gift. All of us have been blessed in our wards and stakes to have knowledgeable leaders and instructors who invite us weekly to sup from the fountain of life, to learn the gospel, and partake of the knowledge of godliness. Many in the church have this gift, and many others learn that they have it as they nurture their testimonies and study the scriptures diligently. The gift of wisdom is another gift of the Spirit. Each of us must pass through times of confusion and disillusionment. How grateful we are for a wise word, for sound advice that helps us stick close to the straight and narrow, when the path is dark and the road difficult or impossible to see. The Prophet Joseph Smith often shared this gift with the saints. Here is my favorite example from the memory of Sister Martha Cox. One day, a sister in the church went to the Prophet's house to make a charge against one of the brethren for saying something scandalous about her. When her complaint had been heard, the prophet asked her if she was quite sure that what the brother had said about her was utterly untrue. She was quite sure that it was. He then told her to think no more about it, for it could not harm her. If untrue, it could not live, but the truth would survive. Still, she felt that she should have some redress. Then he offered her his method of dealing with such cases for himself. When an enemy had told a scandalous story about him, which had often been done, before he rendered judgment, he paused and let his mind run back to the time and place of setting of the story, to see if he had not by some unguarded word or act 
laid the block on which the story was built. If he found that he had done so, he said that then in his heart he could forgive his enemy, and felt thankful that he had received a warning of a weakness that he did not know he possessed. Then he said to the sister that he would have her do the same, search her memory thoroughly and see if she had not herself unconsciously laid the foundation for the scandal that annoyed her. She thought deeply for a few moments, and then confessed that she believed she had. Then the prophet told her that in her heart she could forgive that brother who had risked his own good name and her friendship to give her this clearer view of herself. The sister thanked her advisor for his wisdom and went away in peace. Wisdom that comes from the Spirit is high and unworldly. Had this sister gone to someone less vested with the gift of wisdom, she might have been told to seek revenge or something worse. Older women in the church have much wisdom as a gift. Oh, that's wonderful. Continue. The gift of the diversities of operations is a wonderful gift, one that is desperately needed in these days. It is given by the Holy Ghost to some to know the diversities of operations, whether they be of God, that the manifestations of the Spirit may be given to every man to profit withal. A righteous man or woman in possession of this gift can know whether a cause or an activity is inspired by God, Satan, or uninspired men. Have you ever sat watching the news or reading the newspaper and know in your heart that a certain activity or popular cause will lead to trouble? If so, you should thank your Heavenly Father for blessing you with a valuable gift. Our Lord Jesus Christ exhibited this gift many times when he was surrounded by the Pharisees. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true, and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Shew me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he said unto them, Whose is this image and subscription? They said unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. One of the more frightening causes being pushed upon our children in school is the false belief that the earth is extremely fragile and that man's uncontrolled existence upon it will eventually lead to its utter destruction. The Lord foresaw this satanic onslaught when he inspired Mormon to record in the book of Helaman that the land northward, above the Nephite land of first inheritance, was filled with great cement buildings because the people had cut down all the trees. Part of our nation was built in the land of desolation, and there were no trees. Today, there are forests. Abortion, murder, perjury, Secret combinations, loving and making lies, these and more are foreseen and uncovered by one holding the gift of the diversity of operations. I might add as an insight that recently while watching a children's cartoon station, a famous television star encouraged the children of America to join together in the cause of saving the dirt. I have never yet met any dirt that needed saving. People need saving. Save the dirt? 
the Lord has given some the gift of discernment. Discernment is the ability to tell false spirits from true spirits and to comprehend the personalities and intentions of human beings. Here is an example from the life of Joseph Smith. On one occasion, Joseph was invited to visit a tribe of Indians in Iowa and give them some advice. Upon Joseph's arrival, an Indian agent stated that he would act as interpreter between Joseph and the tribe. Hoping to anger the Indians, the interpreter did not tell the Indians what Joseph was actually saying. Instead, he told them that the Mormons were going to destroy them with a large army. Joseph watched the Indians glare at him with anger. Several warriors began to grunt and move about nervously. Soon they were picking up stones or pieces of wood to be used as cudgels, with which to kill the pale-faced prophet who dared to come into their strongholds with such a message of doom. Their rugged features were wrinkled in scorn and anger as they stared ominously at their visitor, who had come as a preacher, but would be made a prisoner instead. In a miraculous manner akin to the universal spirit of discernment that permeated the place of meeting on the day of Pentecost, Joseph Smith understood every word his deceitful interpreter was saying. This knowledge came to him before the angry warriors finished their plans to silence him forever. He stepped forward with as much bravery as any warrior in the audience. He pushed aside the falsifying interpreter and began to speak as if to men of his own speech. The moment his voice was heard, a calm spirit of understanding settled upon the warriors. They unloosed their hold on stones and other weapons, for they understood every word the stranger said, as if he spoke to them in their own mother tongue. The prophet's discourse was long and eloquent, every word of which fell upon the ears of his hearers, as if he had spent his life in their villages, learning their speech, as well as they themselves knew it. This was such a miracle to the natives that they saw in it the invisible hand of the Great Spirit. They whispered among themselves that this pale-faced chief was a true son of the Great Spirit. When the results of this meeting were told to other tribes, other delegations of red men began to visit Nauvoo seeking advice from the pale-faced chief. I have always loved that story. There are many stories of the prophet using the gift of discernment. Here is another one. Big Black Jackson was a familiar name in Nauvoo. The saints knew Jackson as one who had wormed himself into the company and good graces of the prophet Joseph. Jackson had worked long at this with a wicked design. He hoped to get Joseph into his power and then turn him over to the mobs in Missouri for both fame and reward. The Missourians knew of the Mormons' love and affection for the more oppressed of God's children and their hatred of slavery. So they felt that Big Black Jackson would be the perfect one to put the saints and the prophet off guard. As part of the plan, Jackson had done many friendly and serviceable deeds for Joseph. And when he thought Joseph was completely off his guard and wrapped up in Jackson as a real friend, he asked Joseph out for a stroll one evening in the streets of Nauvoo, a little after dark. They walked leisurely along towards the Mississippi River talking in a friendly manner, until they reached the top of the hill, a few rods from the river. There Joseph stopped and turned to Jackson, saying, I know what your design and object is tonight. 
Now don't take your hands out of your pockets, nor make a motion like it, or I will show you the power of God. Jackson had never seen such majesty in the prophet's countenance, and he obeyed while Joseph unveiled his sinister plan. You have got a boat and men in readiness to kidnap me, but you will not make out to do it. You have laid your plans very cunningly, but I have known you from the start. Frightened, Jackson left and was never seen again in Nauvoo. The gift of administration filled President Brigham Young when it came time to organize the saints in our exodus from Nauvoo across the 700-mile trek to the Great Salt Lake. Historians have studied this mass migration with amazement. As a young man, I was richly blessed to have as my priest quorum instructor H. Burke Peterson, who was a member of the presiding bishopric. We felt richly spoiled being able to ask him questions. On one occasion, I told him that I was studying the gifts of the Spirit and wanted to know what the gift of administration looked like in use. He smiled and said, Well, I can tell you this. I have worked under presidents of the church who had it, and I have worked under presidents who didn't have it. It's a real gift, and it always made a difference when it was seen. I asked him if he would elaborate on which prophet had it and which didn't, and he looked me dead in the eye and said, No, never. I really loved him. In short, this gift is the knowledge of how to organize and administer the affairs of the kingdom of God in any capacity in which you were placed. Organizing a primary sacrament meeting program in such a manner that all parts come together for the benefit of all, or preparing a mass migration across the dusty plains into the American West. It is a useful gift to have in organizing and leading God's children. Emma had this gift. The gift of prophecy is rather straightforward. What is less understood is that prophecy is used not to set in stone what will happen. Rather, it is the ability to warn what shall happen if repentance is ignored and a particular course is followed. You will find in the scriptures practically no prophecy that has been given that didn't serve this function. Prophecies of great blessings, trials, or punishment always come with the proviso that men are free agents and can change or remain on their current path. Prophecy is ultimately a gift of love, to help us make better decisions, but often merely serves as proof that God knows all and sees all. The gift of revelation also needs little illumination. Joseph Smith described it as knowledge from a higher intelligence than your own. He said it might feel like a distilling upon you about the head and moving like warm honey through your body. It can be the clear understanding of gospel principles or the revealing of a truth that might otherwise have been a mystery. A revelation might contain a prophecy, and a prophecy might reveal new truths. John the Beloved's final book is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ because it revealed Christ's word one last time to the world, teetering into apostasy. Within this revealing were many prophecies of Latter-day events as well. In April 1894's General Conference, then-President Wilford Woodruff called Eliza R. Snow's beloved hymn, O My Father, a revelation. I believe that many saints would feel the same about the tender and amazing songs now being written in our day. The gift of testimony is a profound gift. We have all sat wrapped in the powerful spirit of witness that, like a flame, warms our meetings when a saint with this gift bears testimony of Jesus Christ and the restored gospel. 
We have also sat through long and rambling lectures, bad jokes, and travel itineraries from members who need a chance to say their piece before the saints. It is the miracle of a church with a lay ministry. The gift of tongues functions in our day mainly as a gift of fluency and comprehension of languages. It is true that this gift has included the ability to speak in an ancient or otherwise incomprehensible tongue. When this happens, the Spirit will also provide a witness to interpret the tongue for those hearing it. This is logical. Without an interpreter, the words are meaningless, gibberish, and God has declared that He will hold Himself personally responsible to explain all things if given by Him. Joseph Smith was not fond nor impressed by this aspect of the gift. He acknowledged that it did happen, but told the saints that in our day he would much prefer a well-written, inspired sermon given in the hearer's native tongue to some ancient rambling. We have already shared the prophet speaking in the fluent language of our Lamanite brethren when needed, and the great usefulness of that application in his life. Joseph set down a general rule that no doctrine given by the gift of an unknown tongue was to be held up in the church as universal doctrine or as binding on the saints. Millions of missionaries sent around the world preaching the gospel in the native tongues of the children of men, from common French to obscure truckies, is the modern miracle of the gift of tongues. It is a miracle made possible by the grace of God and the gifts of the Spirit. The gift of faith is a treasure for those who possess it and to those who cross its wake. When first given, it may seem to the hearer to be like that red-headed stepson nobody can explain. But the truth is that faith can move mountains. It is impossible to please God without faith, and faith precedes all miracles. Any gathering of saints, fortunate enough to have one bearing the gift of faith in their midst, is a gathering blessed by the favor of God. All things are possible to those with faith, and as all have not faith, these are they who strengthen the rest of us. They are like the rocks the ocean cannot swallow. They are a gift to the whole church. The gift of faith frequently manifests itself with the gift of healing, although healing can be a separate gift as well. Healing is the most frequently seen in the church today when an elder calls down the power of heaven to bless the sick and afflicted. This is a rite of the priesthood and is only limited by a man's righteousness and sometimes humility. The foreordained decree of God for a person and the faith of the sick or afflicted being blessed. Priesthood blessings are the source of many miracles and countless mercies in the church. I doubt there is a member living today who has not seen and cannot bear testimony of the power of the priesthood. It is the men of the church magnifying their duty to build and protect the Father's flock on earth while preparing themselves to do the same on high. It is also a reason for a man to strive to better himself, slay his appointed dragons, and put on his armor to meet his quest. Men need these things. It is part of their creation and an inherent part of masculinity. I have been very shocked lately to find so many men afraid during the disease du jour when they have the priesthood and the power to heal. The gifts of the Spirit are universally given to all, but are always more abundantly found and enjoyed by the saints of God wherever the true body of Christ is functioning in its proper form and function. They are also more intense. Many a young missionary or sister is puzzled when they bump into a secular Christian who has benefited from a faith healing or a fast and seems to have been blessed by some gift of the Spirit. 
It is comforting to believe that all of these manifestations are tricks of demons. Some of them are, but not all. The Lord is a kind Father and does not turn a deaf ear to the honest of heart among any of His children who are pleading for miracles or blessings in faith. Some have found these experiences to be the start of an upward climb to find the mountain of the Lord. Others have used these experiences to camp on a plateau and say within themselves that all is well and it is enough. The greater truth is this. God causes it to rain on the just and the unjust, and many are called, but few pick up the phone. Many women in the church bless the body of Christ with their gifts of the Spirit, which are shared. The prophet Joseph encouraged this. The Sisters of the Relief Society practiced faith healings, shared their insight of knowledge and wisdom, revealed truths, and spoke in tongues, although the prophet was never particularly impressed by that one, as we have already said. My own grandmother, finding herself a single mother on a farm in Wyoming, asked her ward elders to leave her a bottle of priesthood consecrated olive oil so she could rub it on her bruises and sores after a hard day on the farm. She would apply it to a sore and then say a prayer in faith for God to heal her. She said it worked every time. These are all royal gifts of the Spirit that we have a right to use, male or female. Dr. Hugh Nibley once made a very interesting observation on the gifts of the Spirit and Mormon culture. He said, The gifts of the Spirit are spiritual, and they are temporal, but in fact, they are inseparable. A temporal gift is in one dimension spiritual. Gifts are listed in the scriptures. A long list of these spiritual gifts is given to us by the Lord. Moroni 10, 8 through 18. We can't conjure them up for ourselves. The Lord gives them, and he says he gives them. We must ask for them with real intent and with an honest heart. We can have any gift, and a nice protective clause is written in there. If we're not supposed to have a gift, God won't give it to us, but he won't be mad, we asked. Since if we are left to our own wisdom, we may ask for very foolish things. But all these things are available. All we need to do is ask. But we must ask for them. The gifts are not in evidence today, except one gift, which you notice the people ask for, the gift of healing. They ask for that with honest intent and with sincere hearts. And we really do have that gift. Because we are desperate and nobody else can help us, we ask with sincere hearts of our Lord. As for these other gifts, how often do we ask for them? How earnestly do we seek for them? We could have them if we did ask, but we don't. Well, who denies them? Anyone who doesn't ask for them. They are available to all for the asking, but one must ask with an honest heart, sincerely. We have already said, but it is a useful conclusion to repeat, that all good abilities and human talents are ultimately gifts sent down from God. Perhaps your gift is compassion, patience, or benevolence. The world, and particularly the saints, are in need of all of these. Share them with us. Even the gift of concentration, despite noisy children, is a gift. Joseph Smith had that one. Note this. As a child, Adeline Hatch remembered a time when she was visiting the prophet's children at their home. The prophet was walking up and down their long hall, wrapped in deepest thought. The little girl had heard people say that 
This was the way he communed with the Lord, so she was interested in watching him. Two of his sons were engaged in a merry bit of fun, walking up and down the hall after their father, and trying to take just as long steps as he did. Whenever one of the boys took such a big step that they nearly overbalanced, there was much noisy laughter from the children on the sidelines. Besides this, both boys were wearing new shoes that squeaked loudly. Altogether, there was a good deal of racket. The prophet was quite unperturbed. So great was his power of concentration, whenever he was engaged in thinking, that he was not even aware of conditions which most people would have found very disturbing. The prophet was so good at concentrating that eventually Emma had to forbid him from helping her in the garden when he was in a ponderous mood. It seems that the prophet had large feet, and every time he started to work in the garden, sooner or later a group of men would gather around, and Joseph would start a conversation, and before long he would have accidentally stepped all over Emma's prize plants, unaware of his feet. Whatever thing is good is just and true. Wherefore, nothing that is good denieth the Christ, but acknowledgeth that he is. Wow, what an amazing feast! I know that I'm going to search the revelations given to me with earnest and seek after the gifts of the Spirit so that I can bless not only my own life, but, like a kinsman redeemer, the lives of those around me. Just think, if each of us sought to use the gifts of the Spirit that were given us, together we could bless the entire family of God in the Lord's name. But we are not yet finished with this season in our series, so until next time. May you too seek out the Lord and find the gifts of the Spirit He has given you. In His holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen.